I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do, and that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect, so I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school and mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Hello out there, my friends. You ready to talk about cortisol today? Let's do it. If you've ever had any type of hormone testing done and your cortisol has come back kind of wonky and you've thought, how the heck do I fix this? This episode is for you. As a functional medicine practitioner, these are the two questions that I ask whenever I see imbalanced cortisol on a hormone lab. So this could be high cortisol. This could be low cortisol. The two questions are, are you ready for it? Where am I over-functioning and why am I over-functioning? There are lots of different reasons for imbalanced cortisol. We'll talk about them today. But after 12 years of practice, over-functioning is the number one reason that I see for burnout, for stress, and for imbalanced cortisol. And we need to understand why you're doing that, why you're over-functioning before we can attempt to change the behavior. And this is what I think about when I think about taking a real root cause approach to things. Now, quickly, I want to remind you that the day after Thanksgiving, we are running our functional Friday sales where all of our courses are going on sale, including our courses for business and entrepreneurship, like the Energetics of Expansion, which is the game-changing course where you learn the strategies to grow your audience by thousands and attract your most aligned clients without all the self-doubt. It is probably my favorite course that I've ever built, but I think I say that about all the courses. So just know that those are coming in hot in a couple of weeks, so be sure you're on our email list so you will get the invite. Okay, so let's get into it. Cortisol. I want to talk about testing for a little bit. Now, I have done a lot of episodes on cortisol. We'll link them up in the show notes in case you want to do a deep dive. So I don't want to spend too, too much time on the cortisol basics. Like, what is it? It's a glucocorticoid. It's a stress hormone. And there are a few different ways to test it. So in case you're new here, I do want to kind of unpack a couple of the different options that you have. Now, remember, there's a big difference between conventional testing and functional testing. And one is not good or bad or better or worse. They're just really, the way that I view them is there are two different sets of tools that are looking for different things. And I explain all of this in episode 212, a functional medicine approach to labs. Okay. So if you need a refresher or you just want to learn about the difference, go there. 
Now, if you were to get your cortisol tested through a conventional medicine doctor, they would most likely be looking at blood lab. And they're really screening for more of a significant problem, like uh, adrenal insufficiency, where the adrenal glands just aren't producing cortisol, or they're looking for some other type of endocrine disorder. An example of this would be Addison's disease. And you know, in many cases, Addison's actually autoimmune, uh, but they would look at that through ACTH testing, which is the hormone that tells the adrenal glands to make cortisol. In this case, cortisol would be extremely low because again, the adrenal glands just don't make enough of it. Uh, another situation would be Cushing's disease or Cushing syndrome, which where cortisol is extremely high. So this is kind of what a conventional approach would probably be screening for. Whereas with functional testing, we're kind of looking for non- medical issues. The point of testing cortisol through a functional lens is not really to determine whether or not you have a rare endocrine disorder, but to determine how stress is impacting your body and your health so that we can catch it and reverse the impact of that chronic stress. It really gives us information so that we can correct any HPA access dysregulation or dysfunction. I think it really provides validation, especially for kind of hard charging, heavy hitting people who just go, 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 go. I remember years ago, a client said to me, uh, she said, I knew I was stressed, but I didn't realize to what extent. The results were so validating and I feel like I knew it all deep down, but having the answers has really changed things for me and has given me the drive to really make some changes. And, you know, some people, some, uh, medical professionals, physicians, uh, other pr practitioners think it's kind of ridiculous to test for cortisol, especially in the way that we do with functional medicine. And I actually fundamentally disagree just based on what I've seen. It really can be the thing, uh, the kick in the pants, if you will, to get people to like completely change their behavior, change their thoughts, change their approach, do the undercover work that actually creates the profound change in their health more long-term. You know, stress is extraordinarily subjective. So it's hard to define, it's hard to quantify. And as you've heard me say a lot, many of us over time have just become so disconnected from our bodies. One of the things that I encourage everyone to do is to attempt and begin to learn the language of your body because the body's always sending us feedback. It's always sending us messages. We're just not always so skillful at listening to those messages. But the data doesn't lie. So we can use it as a way to say, hey, you're under significant stress. Based on the data, you've probably been under significant stress for a long time. And this is how it's impacting your physical body. And this is how it's contributing to your symptoms. So personally, I am a fan of looking at hormones, including cortisol, when we're doing a workup on somebody just to see, hey, what the heck is going on? And could stress be part of the problem here? Another way to test, and this is something that you would find with a functional provider, is through salivary testing. So this is your saliva spit test. Super easy to collect. It's very convenient. You can do it yourself at home. Inexpensive. Um, you are looking at free cortisol. So cortisol levels will change throughout the day, and you are essentially 
spitting in a tube four different times throughout the day versus if you're taking a blood draw, you're only getting that once, right? Or even if you're just doing one cortisol sample, you're only seeing cortisol at that time of day, which is not really reflective of overall cortisol production. It doesn't show you that diurnal pattern as it moves throughout the day. There is one that is pretty good from doctor's data. It looks at the four cortisol points. It looks at secretory IgA, which is an immunoglobulin, as we'll talk about in a little bit. They they can sometimes go together uh, hand in hand. And then it also looks at DHEA, another stress hormone. And that's like going to run you about $150. Now, and that's pretty good. That's a good starting place. And it's, it's very budget friendly. Um, Typically, when we test cortisol in my practice, we're looking at a lot more than just cortisol. So we use Dutch testing through Precision Analytical. There's absolutely no affiliation with the company whatsoever. It's just, in my estimation, the most comprehensive way to look at hormones. There's two different ways to do this. You can do, or actually, I guess there's three. If you just wanted to look at cortisol, they do have just a saliva test. That's about 300 bucks. Kind of expensive, to be honest, in my opinion, for what you get. Um, Then they have the Dutch Complete, which is going to run you about $500. That's looking at urine. So you are, they're testing your hormones through dried urine sample. The unique value of urine for cortisol is that it's showing cortisol metabolites, which is a better marker for overall production. Um, It's like looking, it has the ability to look at your total amount of production in a 24-hour time period. And then there's the Dutch Plus, which looks at urine and saliva. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds where you get to plot out that free cortisol diurnal pattern. You can look at cortisol awakening response, which is just basically asking, like, are you mounting a a big cortisol response when you wake up, which we absolutely should be doing. It's imperative for immune health. Um, Also just to feel good, have energy, not feel achy and painy (laughs) when you wake up in the morning. Um, So we get to look at that plus the metabolites. And then again, like I said, with with the Dutch test, we're also looking at other other hormones. We're looking at DHEA. We're looking at your sex hormones. We are looking at how your body is metabolizing hormones. There's there's a lot on that test. Not the point of the conversation today. Um, So the Dutch Plus, the one that we use, runs you about $650. If you buy it right from the website, you can purchase it for $650. If you're working with us, either through our one-on-one work or your hormone revival, it's 400, I believe. We always pass along our uh, practitioner costs for our labs directly to our clients. So those are the different ways you can test for cortisol, some of the, the pros and the cons associated with each of them. All right, shit is bananas right now, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense? And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK, go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK 
or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. All right, you have all asked me for an official update. I've been using Keon Aminos for every single day for months now. And so I've gotten enough DMs to know that I got to address it here. I will say what I've seen for myself, definitely enhanced muscle growth. I mean, you wouldn't look at me and be like, whoa, she swole, but I can tell. And I'm putting up heavier weights a lot easier and I don't get sore. So I'm like more likely to, I'm lifting more because I don't have like have that muscle fatigue or just like that soreness. So strong recommend. This is why Keon Aminos really is my fundamental supplement for fitness. You can naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery. It's backed by over 20 years of clinical research, highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk. It undergoes rigorous quality testing and it tastes amazing. My personal faves are the mango and the lime. If you're looking for flavors to try, you can save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% off one-time purchases. Go to get Keon.com forward slash funk. That's G E T K I O N.com slash F U N K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. I've got a fun Organifi offer for you, so get ready because I know how much you love these. When you get the Sunrise to Sunset kit, you can also enjoy a free 30 day sample of Pure for a limited time. The Sunrise to Sunset Kit helps transform your entire day in three easy steps. A detoxifying morning reset with the green juice, an afternoon energy boost, caffeine-free with the red juice, that's my fave, and a nighttime relaxation tea with the gold, which is like a yummy anti-inflammatory golden milk type situation, all packed with superfoods that your body will love. You get an awesome bundle savings on this kit, and for a limited time, you get a 30-day supply of the brain-boosting blend Pure for free. Pure helps to repair, protect, and feed your brain cells. Keep that sweet, sweet brain of yours nice and healthy. If you want to save an additional 20% and get free shipping, head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash F-U-N-K. Now, remember I said there's different reasons for imbalanced cortisol high or low. And when I see either of these, I always come back to, okay, where is this person overdoing? Where is this person overgiving or overfunctioning? But there are also other reasons or reasons in conjunction with overfunctioning that we might see imbalanced cortisol. So I want to tuck into some of the reasons before we get into the overfunctioning discussion. For high cortisol, we might see this because you're under a lot of stress, like obviously stress hormones are going to go high when you're under a lot of stress, physical, mental, or even chemical stress. Your body's being exposed to something that it really shouldn't be. Acute inflammation and acute pain can drive uh, cortisol up. Same with an acute infection. So if you, let's say you're, you got the flu and you happen to test your cortisol at the time of the flu, it's not crazy that cortisol would be high during that. We can see high cortisol pair with insulin and glucose problems. Those kind of go hand in hand. If you drink a lot of coffee or caffeine or you use stimulants, that can also drive up free cortisol levels. If you're not sleeping well, that's going to impact cortisol for sure. Hypothyroid sometimes can do it as well. And then if you're on certain cortisol medications uh, like Cortef, that can drive cortisol up. And as we talked about, a more severe situation would be a Cushing syndrome or a Cushing's disease. Now for low cortisol, if you're seeing low cortisol on 
a lab. This is when I usually think about a more longer term picture for the most part. So long-term stress, uh, psychological burnout, long-term inflammation, pain, infection. Like let's say you've got a gut infection that's been there for a really long time or a viral infection that your body's been like kind of attempting to fight off for a long time that can drive down cortisol levels. Poor sleep can absolutely do it. If you've got mitochondrial issues that could impact cortisol levels, head trauma, like a TBI, anything that really can affect the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, or the hippocampus can do that. Certain medications can absolutely suppress cortisol production, things like prednisone, steroids, opioids, uh, Accutane is a big one that can affect it. So those are all things to consider. But usually with a low cortisol picture, this person is depleted. So you really want to ask, how did they get depleted in the first place? If you've got low cortisol, your tank is empty. Why? What has been draining it? What has been siphoning your energy and your your resources? Uh, This is the real root cause work in my eyes. It's not just saying oh, low cortisol, we're going to give them some adaptogens to raise it back up. We're not trying to play whack-a-mole, right? We want to move away from the idea that functional medicine is just trying to correct every lab marker imbalance. An example that I'll give that's not cortisol, uh, let's take B12, for example. So let's say you've done a lab and your B12 is low. The first instinct a provider might have is to give you B12 to raise it back up. And that's not a wrong approach at all. But we also want to ask the question why, especially if we're taking this root cause functional approach, your practitioner should really be doing some of the head scratching to understand, well, why are they low in B12 in the first place? Are they not eating enough dietary sources of B12? Are they just not eating enough in general? Uh, that's a big one that can sometimes be overlooked. Uh, are they unable to break down their food and access the B12 in it? Do they have low stomach acid? Is their body in an acute period of stress? So they're really using up their B vitamins more than normal right now. Again, these are the the big questions that we should be thinking. This is the way that we look under the hood. And I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I want to speak into this a little bit. I was going through uh, our FNA applications, that's the Functional Nutrition Academy, our practitioner training, and somebody indicated that it's just so overwhelming to learn and understand how to interpret these functional labs. And I was I, like chuckling to myself because if you're not overwhelmed by all of this, you're probably not doing it right. I'm joking a little bit, but We can't take something as complex as our health in the human body and try to oversimplify it. So these labs should be a like a doorway in, a pathway into the real root stuff. It's not, we're not trying to oversimplify complex issues through these functional lab testing by saying, like, oh, you're low in B12. We just gotta give you some B12 to bring it back up. Or, oh, you're low in cortisol, let's just give you some adaptogenic herbs to bring that cortisol back up. And, you know, I will continue to advocate for this because I I feel by me advocating for this, I'm advocating for people who are struggling with their health to get the good proper care that they need. 
it's so important if you want to leverage these functional abs, if you're a practitioner, you want to leverage these functional abs in your practice, it's so important to have the appropriate training and the ability to ask questions as you're learning the lab. That's why I believe mentorship is so important. That's why that's what we do in the Functional Nutrition Academy. If that's something you're interested, be sure to apply. We'll link to it in the show notes. So anyway, back to cortisol. The real reason that you should care about cortisol dysregulation is because it can open up the doorway to other issues. By now, we all know and understand that stress is not good for our overall health. But when we see low cortisol, for example, I mentioned this earlier, this can oftentimes pair with low secretory IgA. Secretory IgA is a really important immunoglobulin. It's a, it's part of our immune system. And so with low cortisol, we can oftentimes, dare I say almost always, see a suppressed immune system or suppressed immune function. And when our immune function is suppressed, that really opens up the doorway to lots of different things. Respiratory infections, the flu, COVID, gut dysbiosis, or in my case, all of the above within a span of like four months. Yeah. So that was the impetus for this episode. My cortisol labs. I ran a Dutch test on myself and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This tracks. My cortisol levels were really low. And it's not the first time that I had seen this pattern. So if you've ever wondered what a functional medicine practitioner does when they see low cortisol levels on their own hormone lab, this is it, babe. This episode is it. When I saw this on my lab, I didn't say, let me run to full script to buy up all the supplements. I had to say, let's unpack how I got here again. And so the two questions I asked myself were, drum roll please, where am I over-functioning and why am I over-functioning? So the same medicine that I preach to you, I am taking a spoonful of it myself. So let's define overfunctioning. So we're all on the same page here. I kind of think of this Liz Gilbert quote. I think this was in a from a Huffington Post article. She said, nearly all the women I know are stressing themselves sick over the pathological fear that they simply aren't doing enough with their lives. So that's kind of overfunctioning in a nutshell. Never doing enough, which is crazy. Absolutely flat out bananas because the women I know do a lot and they do it well. Overfunctioning is doing more than necessary, more than is appropriate. It is doing more than your fair share. It's overgiving, it's overdoing, and quite frankly, it's doing more than is healthy. It's holding space beyond your capacity. It's being overly responsible for people in your life, family, friends, coworkers. Sometimes, oftentimes, it looks like doing things you weren't even asked to do. Have you ever felt resentful that you were doing something and somebody was like, I actually never asked you to do that? Ugh, that's overfunctioning. Doing things that other people should really be doing for themselves and deriving a sense of value and purpose for being all the things to all the people. Overfunctioning is tied pretty closely to codependency. And Terry Cole's definition, when I when I learned this, because before I would always say, well, I'm not codependent, I'm independent. I do everything myself. But when I really understood what codependency was, I was like, oh dear, it's me. Uh, Terry Cole says that codependency is being overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, the circumstances of the people in our life 
to the detriment of our internal peace. It is being overly responsible. It's not really understanding what's their responsibility and what's my responsibility. There's like this overreach. And the funny thing about it is that overfunctioning is really the only addiction that we're rewarded for. We are praised for it. We're loved, we're needed, we're awarded for it. So we don't really tend to see it as a problem. And actually it can become ingrained as part of our identity. It's who we think we are. It's how we view ourselves. It's how others view us. And once it gets tangled up in your sense of self, it becomes really hard to step away from. So again, the first thing that we have to recognize is where are you doing this? So after I just let, read you that list of what overfunctioning is, can you think about where you might be doing this in your life? Um, for me, I had spent the past two years, I would say, really pulling back from over-functioning tendencies in relationships, specifically with my family and with friends. Um, but I realized that I hadn't done that with work. Um, so right now, as I record this, I'm currently in the midst of like, a several month long identity shift rebirth, which is funny because this is a, I'm recording this on a Scorpio new moon. And I, I believe Scorpio is all about death and rebirth. So just funny timing. But by the way, this is why I started microdosing because I was using all of my tools and I still couldn't shift this pattern. I just, I, I, I needed a little bit of a helping hand. Uh, but my sense of self and the value that I offer has been predicated on me working as hard as I can and overdoing. And so that creates an environment where I feel like I am never doing enough. So you can see how that would be very conducive to burnout, to low cortisol levels, right? Like that just kind of makes sense. Um, I I will tell you, it was this line that really got got me. I was, it really helped me see my own behavior in my own patterns. I was talking to my husband and it was, it was just, a, uh, I was having a, a little bit of like a, a breakdown. <laughs> Perhaps I would call it, uh, maybe. I was out on the back deck this summer and I was just, I was so overworked. I was so overwhelmed and I just recognized like I have to change something. So I told him, I'm like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum for the next few months. Like I'm just going to really scale things back and just do the bare minimum. And then I proceeded to list off what I was going to do. And he, and I was like so proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, I've really cracked the code. I've really figured this out. I'm just going to like coast. I'm just going to coast. That's what I said. I'm just going to coast. And he looked at me and he said, Erin, what you just described is a full-time job. So your perception of bare minimum is someone else's full-time job. So that was really confronting to me because in that moment I recognized how true it was. And I also realized, okay, this is what I need to change. If I really want to like fundamentally kind of alter this stress pattern you know, this cortisol pattern, if you will, um, this is what needs to change. So the awareness of where the overfunctioning is taking place is key. And you might not know the answer right away. It might take, or you might, I don't know, but it might also take time for you to 
observe your own patterns and, and that's fine. And it might um, require some conversations with people who you know and who you trust and who have your best interest at heart and can really reflect back to you your own patterning. That might be a therapist, that might be a spouse, that might be a best friend, it might be a parent, it might be a sibling. But um, that was, I can say that that was very, very helpful and eye-opening for me. So I'm 39. (laughs) This is the year I've become really interested in all things aging and keeping my body and brain functioning at the highest capacity and optimize function for as long as possible. So we have something called senescent cells. They're also known as zombie cells, which are essentially worn out cells that don't serve their optimal function and they drain our resources. They can accumulate in our bodies as we get older, which can lead to those symptoms of aging, like slower recovery, lower energy, sluggish cognition, even aches and pains. Qualia Senolytic is something that I've personally been experimenting with to help the natural elimination of these senescent cells. It contains seven of the most researched back senolytic ingredients that are designed to complement each other, and you only have to take it two days a month. That's my favorite part. So if you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Senolytic to your routine can really play a crucial role in these aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash funks for up to 50% off Qualia Senolytic. And as a listener of the Functional Nutrition Podcast, you can use code FUNKS at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. Neurohacker also offers a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you can try it at no risk to decide for yourself. That's neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K-S to try Qualia Senolytic with code FUNKS. This one is for my low-carb Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary, dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly, Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low-carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors, or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. So the first step is the awareness. Where am I over-functioning? And then the next step is to ask why. And you can't skip this step, I'm sorry to say, because the why is the true root. It is what is driving the behavior. We have to understand what our drivers are, how our behaviors are meeting a need. We're not just doing these things for the sake of doing them. More often than not, we're doing them because we think we have to. So why? Why do we think we have to? Why are we doing this? And for a lot of us over-functioners, it comes down to uh, fear, fear of being unloved or unlovable, fear of abandonment, fear of being left behind, The idea is if I make myself 
indispensable, then no one will leave me. Um, if I can be the absolute best at everything I do, this will protect me from getting hurt because overfunctioning has a lot of overlap with perfectionist tendencies too. So I just want to be the best at everything I do. I, that one really, I relate to that a lot. If I can do it all myself, I won't be a burden. So rather than seeing and believing that our self-worth is innate, we put conditions on our self-worth. A lot of these conditions have to do with performing for others. If I can just do this for them, then I have value. Then I can offer value. Then I can offer, I can offer value and then therefore feel worthy. Uh, so overfunctioning can really just be a way that we feel worthy of existing. And what we really see here is a clash between two essential needs the core need of attachment, and the core need of authenticity. Attachment is essentially the drive for closeness, proximity to others. It's being part of the group, being accepted into the the tribe. Whereas authenticity is being true to oneself. It's the capacity to shape our own life based on a deep knowledge of self. Like, I know what I need and I trust myself and I'm going to build a life and make decisions based on that. It's recognizing our gut feelings or our intuition, our instinct as it arises. And then it's honoring that, making decisions based off that. It's using our emotions as a directive, as like an internal compass. Oh, this emotion is coming up. Here's this information. Now I'm going to make decisions based on this information. And if we have to make a choice between attachment, being part of the group, and authenticity, living our life for us in a way that we're being true to ourselves, more often than not, we're going to choose the attachment over the authenticity. We are a lot of times raised and even praised to do this. We are primed for self-abandonment. We learn at a very early age to go dark on ourselves, to divorce ourselves from our body's needs, from our emotional, that internal emotional compass, from our intuition, from our gut instinct. We learn to put our needs last in order to keep the peace. We learn to be a good little girl. We learn to not ask for too much, not be too much, not be too loud, not be too needy not be too sensitive, not have too many needs, not rock the boat. We learn that this is actually how we're supposed to exist in the world. We go dark on our own emotional needs. So we have no way to effectively or appropriately process those emotions. And you know, I reference the work of uh, Gabor Mate often, he refers to unmetabolized emotion. Like if we don't have a way to process it, they remain unmetabolized. And it's that habitual repressed emotion, that unmetabolized emotion that actually chronically activates the HPA access. It leads to chronic stress. So we can absolutely see this show up on a Dutch test or a hormone test as imbalanced cortisol, like for sure, unquestionably so. 
And if this is like hitting you, if you're like, ooh, this is me, just know that I talk a lot about this in the boundaries course. Um, I unpack all of this. Why boundary setting is so hard. I'm not just like, here's how to set a boundary. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's back up a few clicks. Let's talk about why boundary setting is hard for us because it's hard for us. Um, and that is included in the functional Friday sale. Just FYI, I've said it before. I will say it again. Boundaries is healthcare. And so we can see over-functioning and lack of boundaries go hand in hand because boundaries requires a sense of self-worth. That's something that we don't really talk about much. You have to have some semblance of self-worth in order to set a boundary. I love the way one of my teachers, Erin Telford, says this. She says, boundaries are essentially an assertion of I am the precious thing in my life that's worth protecting. I'm it, me. I am worth protecting. And an embodied boundary is an assertion that I will not diminish myself. I am not, I'm done going dark on myself. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not turning away from myself anymore. I'm not turning away from my needs. I'm not dimming the internal guidance that's trying to come through. I'm not devaluing myself. I'm not compromising myself. Me having boundaries is basically stating I have value here. I see my own value. And the other tricky part about that is boundaries also require you to choose authenticity over attachment. It doesn't mean you have to choose, you can only have one or the other, but sometimes, sometimes you do have to make a choice. In order to stay as part of the collective, you might have to go dark on the, the authentic parts of you. And so that's why there's so so much fear around setting boundaries, you're afraid you're going to lose people. You're afraid you're going to be ousted from the group. That is scary. That goes against a core need that we have. And the thing is, on top of all of that, we have 100% normalized it. So it just feels like, well, that's what everybody else is doing. We have normalized being in environments and staying in environments. So I'm talking communities, I'm talking families, romantic relationships, marriages, friendships, workplaces, even client practitioner relationships, where we consciously or unconsciously dull down our full cells. We dim them down. We dull ourselves down. We edit ourselves to make ourselves seem more palatable. We edit out the parts that might cause us to be judged or make others feel badly about themselves. That's a big one for me. I, I brought this up. I, <laughs> I, I loosely brought this up on a show before, but feeling like I need to apologize for my ambition because it might make others feel badly about themselves. That was a big one for me. So I would always kind of like edit it down, scale it back. You know, I would like kind of assess the group I was in. I'm like, can I, can I talk about my big dreams here or no? Is that not acceptable here? I mean, as you're listening, can you, can you relate to that, that like need or like the, the, the tendency to scale ourselves back, edit ourselves back. We're more concerned with caretaking the emotions of other people than we are with getting our own needs met. And that is over-functioning. And there can be such a fear with discontinuing this behavior because we don't want to lose people. But 
I've, I've given this a lot of thought and where I've sort of netted out, if I have to edit myself in any way to keep you comfortable, then you are no longer a safe space for me. You are no longer a nurturing or enriching place for me. Like I can't go to you to fill myself up because I can't even be my most full expression of of myself in front of you. So we become a resource for that person, but we're not able to resource from that person. So if we are constantly resourcing other people in our relationships, in our environments, but we're not able to resource from these relationships or these environments, you can see how that would create a real recipe for burnout. And I will tell you that sometimes discontinuing over-functioning requires you to renegotiate contracts within your relationships. If you have always served as a resource for others to siphon from, and all of a sudden you decide that you are no longer doing that, people might be disgruntled. But it doesn't always have to be a loss of the relationship. It can be a renegotiation. And I feel like the the relationships that are worth putting effort and time into are the ones that can grow as we grow. They can change, they can evolve. It allows for renegotiation. And I have done that this pretty successfully well in a lot of situations. I have gotten to certain points where I was like, I am no longer diminishing myself to make others more comfortable. So you can either calibrate up or calibrate out. And some people calibrated up and some people calibrated out. And, you know, I don't say this lightly. There is so much grief that comes with the end of a relationship. But I I am more willing to stretch my capacity to hold the grief for a relationship ending than I am willing to go dark on myself dim myself down and edit myself for somebody else's comfort. That's sort of where I've netted out. And I'm just spending more time speaking into this because I know that this is a driver for so many people, whether or not you consider yourself a people pleaser, uh, keeping the peace and performing for others is where a lot of people receive a sense of value and self-worth. So this is why we really have to understand the whys behind what we're doing. So then we have more of an opportunity to shift our behavior if we so desire. So for me right now, understanding the whys and the drivers behind my tendencies to overwork, to overdo, to over function really helped me interrupt the pattern when it's happening. And to be honest with you, so much of that has to do with like old core wounds and like family-based stuff. So I won't, I won't get into it here, but just understand, understanding the whys, it's a big deal. You can't just follow a protocol checklist for this stuff. If you really want to correct burnout and cortisol dysregulation and hormonal dysfunction. Now, if you go to a functional provider and you've got low cortisol, they might tell you to take some mitochondrial support, get on some glandulars, 
take ashwagandha and cordyceps, maybe discontinue high intensity interval training for a little bit and do some more walking and yoga, maybe rest-based training. And by the way, I am doing all of those things. They are perfectly acceptable and therapeutic strategies, and they can be really quite effective. But without understanding the why, without understanding the drivers, those things will probably serve as band-aids and the patterns will eventually repeat themselves again. Um, And I've heard people say, you know, like some people are just prone to adrenal issues. And I would actually say some people are prone to validating their self-worth through overdoing. And yes, that will probably set you up with some adrenal issues. Um, So if we want to create positive, profound, and sustainable change, this is the work that we've got to do. So I hope that helps some folks out there and this can be sort of an initiation on your path into further healing. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.